In Matthew 25, it says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. Thank you, Leslie. Um, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. Also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained you five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what I have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My name is Dorothy White. 
Um, and I can tell you with 100% honesty, I never in a million years thought that I would be up here teaching you today. <laughs> um, but I'm really, excited to <laughs> I'm really excited to share with you what I've learned over the last few weeks of I have like gone through and learned about the falsehood of the statement, God helps those who help themselves. Will you please pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for this time today. I lift up my message and I lift up every person in this room today. I pray that you will all give us hearts that are open to hear your word and spirits to respond accordingly. In your name I pray, amen. The statement that God helps those who help themselves is a nice idea, isn't it? Unfortunately, it isn't biblical, so we're stuck wading through where this idea comes from and searching for God's truth. I think where this idea could mostly be found easiestly in the scripture is in the Gospel of Matthew, as we just heard. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus shares two parables in a row, both about entering the kingdom of God. What I love about the parables is that they're told using examples that the people Jesus was teaching would have been familiar with and that they would have understood. In the first parable, the parable of the ten virgins, there are ten virgins who are awaiting the arrival of the bridegroom to accompany him to the wedding banquet. I'd love to give you some uh, historical context here because when I read this story initially, I was reminded of how different our culture is today than the culture of Jesus. The bride would have been waiting at her house for her betrothed to come and get her after arrangements between the parents of the couple had been finalized. They never knew when the groom would come. However, it was often after dark. And when he would come, he would bring her to the wedding celebration. And the virgins, or as we know them today, bridesmaids, would accompany the couple back to the groom's house where the wedding celebration was to take place, using lamps to light the way. Bearing in mind that they did not know when the groom was coming, it was important to have their lamps ready to go. The parable tells us that five of the virgins were wise and brought extra oil for the lamps, but five were foolish and did not bring enough oil for their lamps. When they got word that the groom was coming, the five who had little oil asked the wise ones to share. I'm reminded of the group members and group projects who take a little trip to Procrastination Nation and then when the, de <laughs> when the deadline rolls around, ask their group members to help them. And the correlation here is just shocking to me because <laughs> you, can always, you can't always help your group members out. Anyway, the wise virgins explain that if they share, then nobody will have enough oil and none of them will make it to the wedding banquet. So, the foolish virgins are told they should go buy some oil before the groom arrives. Of course, while they're out, the groom comes and the doors are shut, leaving the five foolish virgins out in the dark, pleading to get in. They're not let in, and the groom is exclaiming, I do not know who you are. I think that the story correlates really well to the idea of God helps those who help themselves in the sense that the virgins who had oil did not share with those who were foolish, so they had enough oil to reach the wedding banquet and be let in. So one could argue that you have to make sure you're prepared so God will let you into his kingdom. Well, yes, the point of the story is you have to be prepared to be let into the kingdom and on guard for the second coming, but I think it can get really confusing when we look at it through the lens of the wise getting into the kingdom because they had something, not because they got in because they were ready for the groom. The second parable tells us that, uh, the second parable is the parable of the talents. 
Um, or in the version that we just read, it says bags of gold. But I got really caught up on the word talents. Uh, when my dad brought this story up to me initially, I registered it as talents, like what you're good at, not talents, like the currency. And I got really confused. And like the biblical student in me was like, that is wrong. So <laughs> I had to go and remind myself what a talent was. Knowing what a talent is gives the story a lot of insight. <laughs> One talent is about 20 years worth of wages for the average laborer. Bear that in mind when we go through this parable. In this parable, Jesus tells, of, tells us of a wealthy man who is embarking on a long journey without mod- and without the modern modes of transportation. Long means weeks to months, possibly even years. This man calls three of his servants together and tells them, I'm going away for a while, and while I'm gone, I'm trusting you to take care of my wealth. The first servant is given five talents, which is about a hundred years worth of wages for him. The second is given two, which is about 40 years of work, and the third is given one. Their master leaves, and we're not told how long he's away, but we are told that the first and second servants took their talents and doubled them, while the third servant took his talent and buried it in the ground. When the master returned, he called his servants together, and the first servant brings his ten talents to his master, and his master's response is, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Because you have been trusted with little, you can be trusted with much. And the master is very pleased with the first servant. I don't know about you, but if I was the first servant and my master told me, you've been trusted with little, after I just handed him 200 years worth of wages, I would have been like, what do you mean that's little? Like, that's it's a lot. What do you mean, like, what is your definition of much? <laughs> the same thing happens almost identically with the second servant. And then we come to the third servant. He brings his talent forward and says, Master, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went and I hid your money in the ground. See, here is what is yours. The master's response, I think, really proves that he was indeed a hard man. He responds by saying, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew all of these things about me? Well, you should have at least put my money in the bank so it would have gained interest while I was away. The last part of this parable, I think, is the most interesting to me. The master says, so take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where they'll be where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. My dad used to tell us that there would be weeping and gnashing of teeth when my brother and I were little and fighting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, This parable, I think, illustrates really well the kingdom of God. The point is that we can't enter the kingdom by doing nothing. We have to work. It's important that we don't enter the kingdom it's important to know that we don't enter the, enter the kingdom by works alone, though. Eternal life with Jesus takes a relationship with him, and that relationship is what we work towards along with helping others toward that relationship. Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what does that mean for us today? 
Well, the world that we live in today is very much a self-help culture. How many books are written, videos published, and products are sold, are marketed towards self-help? So much of our society is focused on the individual and what a person can do from, for themselves. I think that taking care of yourself is a good thing, but I also think that there's a line that can be crossed. It's important to keep yourself healthy, but calling in sick to work because you don't feel like going in and need a day to just take a bubble bath and eat a family-sized bag of Cheetos is not justifiable. Don't get me wrong, mental health days are very important, but I think that when we start using the excuse of needing a mental health day as an excuse to be lazy is where there's a problem. Self-help can get selfish, which is not really an admirable quality. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, who is helping out the church of Ephesus. In chapter 6, verse 18, Paul, Paul tells him to command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Helping people out and being a good Samaritan is encouraged. We're called to act like Jesus, and what did Jesus do in his time here? Among other things, he helped people. I think that once the self-help mentality turns into a help others mentality, the world could be such a beautiful place. I also think that in the culture that we live in today, individualistic mindsets are thought of as good. There are so many examples of people doing amazing things all by themselves or wanting to do things all by themselves. I'm guilty of this. One of my first sentences when I was little is, no mommy, I do. I'll be honest, accomplishing things by yourself feels really good a lot of times. And I think where the line of independence gets crossed is when we try to apply Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, a little too literally. What does that mean actually? I don't think when it says all things, it really means all things. One of my Bible professors this last year talked about this verse in this way. We can't necessarily go out and eat seven pounds of Taco Bell because Christ will give me the strength. <laughs> but it does mean that when there are hard things that God has set in front of you, he will give you the strength to get through them. With the technology we have today, we have the opportunity to be completely independent. You can order basically anything you could need online, and with all of the streaming services and social media, you can go days without talking to another human in person. Which is cool, I guess, but we're not intended to be alone. Hebrews 10 tells us, and let us consider how, men, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Being in community is made to be good. Working with others is good, because as it says, it's encouraging, and sometimes you just need another person to come with and be with you to help you out. I also think that this idea of God helps those who help themselves falls into play when we think about control. I know that control is one of the things that I need to work on the most, letting God have the control. It's funny sometimes how in my head I can get about being in control, but honestly, I think it's just in my nature. I'm a firstborn, so I was always in charge when my brother and I were left home alone. I'm a raging extrovert, a natural-born leader, studying to be a teacher, and maybe a little too detail-oriented, and as basically everyone I'm close to can attest, I'm very stubborn. And because of that, I really, really like to be in control and in charge. I like to know where everyone is and what's going on and telling people what to do, and sometimes I find myself trying to do that with God. 
It's so easy to try to put God in a box or think that I can co-pilot. Jesus, take the wheel sounds nice, but I want to drive. <laughs> I find myself often praying that my plans will play out exactly as I want them to. I find myself in this loop of, God, I know you have a plan for me, but I think that my plan is pretty neat, so if your plan matched my plan, that would be great. <laughs> of course, though, when I try to do things my way by myself, it doesn't usually end up so well. I think while there is a self-help mentality, there's also the opposite end of the spectrum to what I call the help me mentality. I think that this mentality can stem from verses like Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Well, yes, this verse is nice. The context behind it is when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt with Pharaoh's mighty army behind them, and they were quaking in their boots because they had no way to cross the Red Sea, and they believed themselves to be dead and or brought back to slavery in Egypt. I don't think that this verse gives us permission to be idle and lazy because God will fight for me. He's going to make sure everything is okay and I don't have to do anything. I think because we live in a world full of instant gratification. You want some food? Go through the drive-thru. You need something for your home? Order it on Amazon. Want to be entertained? Scroll through social media or go to YouTube. I think in our poof, you got it. Culture makes it hard to put in effort where effort is due sometimes. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 11, it says, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Through all of the time I have spent reading and learning about the Bible, I can say with absolute certainty that it's sometimes eerily comforting to read a verse or passage and have it be 100% relevant today. My point here is that just sitting by and waiting for God to fix our problems is handling our faith irresponsibly. Jesus never promised that our life with him was going to be easy. In fact, the opposite. I can think of two scripture examples that prove this point pretty well. Matthew 5, 3 through 12, also known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, God, of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The other is 1 Peter 4, 14-17. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? These two passages definitely do not say that it will be easy to follow Christ, but it does say that it will be good.
Now, I'm not saying that you're going to walk out of here today and have literal stones thrown at you, but there will be hard things and things that seem to be spirit-wrecking. But let me tell you that God will never leave you alone to deal with the evil things that this world can hurl at you. Some, some of the things that God sets in front of you are really hard, and it's important to recognize when you need help from God and from others. I want to share with you two stories from my life that I think illustrate this pretty well. The first story begins back at the end of my sophomore year of high school. This was when I was making the decision to do post-secondary education, or PSEO. Making the choice to do PSEO meant that I would be leaving my school for everything academic. I would be leaving my friends and everything that was familiar and easy and safe to take one of the biggest steps of faith that I have ever taken. Making the decision to do PSEO meant that I would be going to class with college students who I had no idea how they were going to accept me and being taught by professors who were going to hold me to a much higher standard than the teachers at my high school. I was scared out of my mind. In this time of fear and stress and uncertainty, I called out to Jesus asking for his help and his guidance. And as I prayed, my anxiety began to go away and the decision to pursue PSEO seemed better and better. And let me tell you, it is still one of the best decisions that I have ever made. But I could not have done that. I could not have taken that leap of faith without the help from our wonderful savior. I love that we can always call on the Lord and that he keeps us in his hand. However, one thing that I have learned through the last three years of my life at UNW is that God will sometimes let you fall on your face, but he will never let you fall apart. The second story I would like to share with you happened that same year when I was taking chemistry online. If I did not know that my calling was not to be a chemist before I took this course, I am 100% sure that I am not called to be a chemist now. <laughs> this class is still by far the most difficult class I have ever taken. I was drowning in the subject. I did not understand the material in the book. The lectures were even more confusing and I was almost failing the course. Now you may be thinking, Dorothy, the solution is so simple. Just ask for help. Well, remember when I said earlier that I was a stubborn human? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was no way in my mind that I was going to get help. I kept telling myself, if I just study harder, practice more, repeat material. Many long and tearful nights passed and still I refused to get help. Despite my parents urging and my grades slipping lower and lower, eventually, I asked my professor for help, and he sent me contact information of another professor who offered tutoring sessions. I went, albeit grudgingly, sorry, mom and dad, when <laughs> um, while I learned what I needed to pass the course, I think that the bigger lesson that I learned here was asking for help is one of the best things, although one of the hardest things that we can do. We all have different gifts, and sharing those gifts make the world a great place. I would like to leave you with a challenge. I, like, I would like to challenge you to look at what you ask God for help with. I notice myself praying things like, God, help me to have a good day, or help me to find a parking spot, or help me to, uh, to do well on this. But are those really things that we need to be asking for help with? 
Or are they things that we want because they make our lives easier, but we don't want to put in the work to do them ourselves? 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, and 8 say, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked day and night, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. In his book, Half-Truths, Adam Hamilton perfectly sums up what I want to say here. God isn't just going to drop what we want in our laps. He says we can pray and we can pray, but we also have to do some work in the process. God blesses us with brains, strength, and wisdom. God provides other people to advise us. All these are God's gifts to us, but it's up to us to help them. So we pray and we work. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time today. I ask that you will put your hand on our hearts and challenge us to ask for help where it is needed, but to put in the work where the work is due. I ask that you will be with every single person in this room as we leave here today. And I thank you that you love us and that you died to save us. In your name I pray, amen.